Oh, what the hell is going on? Am I even being recorded right now? All right, fine. <clears throat> busted. I'm cheap. I'm cheap and I'm busted. I went uh, There's a platform I use for these podcasts called Spreaker. And the only reason I use it is because when I was in radio and I worked at iHeart, we used Spreaker, and so I was familiar with how it worked. Anyway, last week it was renewal time, and I went on the renewal, and it said that a free account gets unlimited episodes. And most of the stuff that comes with the 20 bucks a month, which was what I had been paying for the last three years, is stuff like statistics. And at this point, like, I know how many people are listening to this. You know, it, it's, it, 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 I don't need statistics. I don't really care on this podcast. It's just for fun. Ads, that's another thing. You can make money off ads. I don't need that. I'm never, I've always said I'm never going to sell an ad on this podcast feed. Well, so, so I downgrade from the $20 a month to the zero to the free because I'm going for free. According to this thing, I can just pound out episodes. They go out into the world. So what? I don't know how they perform. That's okay. I get it now. I know how we're going to perform going forward. So anyway, um, I downgrade from $20 to $0 because I'm a cheap bastard, hence the name of this episode. And it turns out to backfire on me because uh, they cut me off at the 15-minute mark. (laughs) So that's why this is a two-parter, because it cut me off at the 15-minute mark. Then it wouldn't let me upload it. I went in, and I'm I'm sorry, I don't mean to get all in the weeds on this, but I go in here now, and I'm like trying to figure out why isn't it I'm in my Spreaker account. And I ended up paying the 20 bucks, even though under zero it says unlimited episodes. I don't understand. I do not understand why unlimited episodes, yet it says you can't upload your podcast, you're out of episodes. I don't get it, and I don't have the time or the patience to call Spreaker and figure it out, because I just know I'm going to be on hold for 17 hours before I get to talk to anybody, and that person won't be able to help me. So, here we go, part two. I did listen to where the last one cut me off, and yes, oh, by the way, yes, I did another full 20 minutes before I realized I was cut off. (sighs) So I was talking about um, being a fat guy, but, uh, you know, in my heart, I'm, I'm a Ken doll. And so, <laughs> but then I went on, I was talking about the Nicosias, and the, the, the interesting thing about this is they're in a West Memphis 3 situation with this, with this suing of Rachel and, and uh, Nate. And what I mean by that is with the West Memphis 3, just to tie this all together, back to Natalie Maines, the West Memphis 3 was these three teenagers who were accused of killing these three young men, boys, like eight, nine, ten-year-olds, in the uh, city of West Memphis, Arkansas, back in the 90s. The three teenagers were sort of, like, clearly innocent, but they were railroaded by the police. And one of the most brilliant things ever was that there was this campaign by a bunch of celebrities to get the man that everyone thought actually did do it into a courtroom. And the man everyone actually thought did do it was the stepfather of one of the kids, the stepfather, one of the kids, after the the, uh, the the three teenagers had been sentenced, a bunch of information came out about him. There was a purchase of bleach. There was uh, some unnecessary cleaning that happened in the house with the bleach. There was the smell of bleach on him. Uh, there was he was cited also. He was seen with the boys. He was the last person seen with the boys by a witness who did not come forward until after the case had gone to court because that witness didn't realize what they had because you always say when you hear that you go why didn't that witness come forward earlier that witness didn't really know what they had because that was those boys stepfather so that witness didn't realize 
that what they had seen may have been really critical evidence. But once the court case came out and the documentary was made about the West Memphis Three, that witness came forward and said, wait a minute. In this documentary, you say the last time they were seen was on their bicycles at 4 o'clock. I saw them at 5 o'clock, and they were with the stepfather. And so a bunch of information came out, and all these celebrities get together, and one of them is Natalie Maines of the Dixie Chicks, and they say, hey, we're going to start saying publicly that this guy needs to be investigated. And what's going to happen is he's going to sue us for defamation of character. And when he does that, he's going to have to take us to court and prove that, in fact, we defamed his character. And by doing that, he's going to have to prove that everything we said was false. So they essentially trap him into getting into court. He gets on the stand, he gets very squirmy, and eventually it turns into where he just calls the whole thing off because he doesn't want to be there. Well, my worry here is, not my worry, but my thought here is, did Nicholas Nicosia just essentially agree to expose everyone who was at that party that night? And what I mean by that is, so he's suing Rachel and and Nate, right? So they're going to go to court, and in order for him to win, he's going to have to prove that the things being said about him are not true. And in order to do that, he's going to need some witnesses who are going to be able to say or corroborate his story, which means some of the people who were there that night, who miraculously have now gone over a year without being exposed, might get called to the witness stand. Huh. How about that? All right. Unfortunately, you're dealing with my fatigue of having already recorded this podcast. So let me see what else I talked about and get back and, and just try and make sure I get everything in here. It stinks because the first version of this was so good. Best podcast you ever heard. Uh, Fun fact, I got married again this week. Yeah. Uh, When we first got married, my wife uh, put Bouchard Guglielmo. She did the hyphen on the marriage certificate. But um, later decided when our son was born, which, by the way, was almost five years ago at this point, that she wanted to just be Guglielmo. And so finally, five years later, got around to going to the Social Security office where they told her, that they could not update her information without a marriage certificate that said Guglielmo on it. Right now, it just says Bouchard Guglielmo. So, we ended up back at the uh, Brighton Town Hall getting married. <laughs> Which sounds funnier than it is, but there was a small little ceremony. And I mean, it's like 30 seconds. It's literally the town clerk saying, like, do you agree that you're entering into a contract of marriage with this person? Do you agree that you're entering into a contract of marriage with this person? Uh, You had to have a witness in the room, so we called one of the people from the office in. And then, of course, my son was there, and this was really cute because the town clerk looks at him and says, do you agree with Mommy and Daddy getting married? And he got this big smile on his face, and he goes, yes. And it was so freaking cute. So cute. Um, so I'm at work now, by the way, too. If this episode sounds a lot different than the last one, I, I'm sitting at my desk at work right now, and I'm so pissed off that I have to redo this episode. So sorry, the second half is going to kind of suck. But a couple other things I wanted to give a shout-out to. Shout-out to a guy named Steven Saluzzo. He is the president of Bishop Kearney. Amazing golfer. He's a scratch golfer, which I learned what that even means, but some of you may know what that means. And he took us out at Monroe Golf Club on Friday, me and two of my best employees, uh, two guys I consider to be my right-hand men. They love golf. I wanted to treat them to something and uh, bid on this at the St. Anne's Foundation 150th celebration a few months ago and uh, finally got to take these guys out. And, and really, they just had a, an absolute blast. Monroe is beautiful. It's one of the big four in town. Um, everyone knows Oak Hill is Oak Hill. It's in a league of its own. But then really, you know, you've got Arondacoit, Monroe, and, and I asked Steven Saluzzo his thoughts on this too. And he told you've got Arondacoit, Monroe, and CCR. He told me he thinks it goes number one Oak Hill, number two Monroe, 
number three, CCR, number four, Aronicoit, and then guess who he had at number five? Midvale, which I was actually really kind of happy to hear about because I know a couple Midvale people. He thought Midvale was the fifth best. I thought that was kind of a surprise. Uh, but I hang out a lot with my business partner who's a Brooklyn guy, and he, you know, to him, Brooklyn is the Oak, Oak Hill West Side. So, um, <laughs> so, I mean, so I thought Brooklyn for sure. Uh, but he did, uh, Tom, if you're listening, Saluza did give Brooklyn some kudos for being a great course. A lot of good courses in Monroe County. It's crazy how golf spoiled we are around here. Oh, what else? Um, oh, I know what I wanted to talk about. Uh, okay, last thing. Here's the last thing. Uh, I got to witness a fantastic talk by a business person this week. I know we didn't get into much business this on this podcast, so let's get into it right now. Uh, we had a woman named Lori Van Dusen speak to us at Rotary this week. And uh, Lori Van Dusen is a very successful businesswoman. She's been on every list of top financial advisors in the country. She manages over $5 billion in assets. She is an absolute juggernaut. She happens to be from Rochester. And uh, I happen to have a connection to her because I did a dinner for her once at her home. And uh, she spoke, and she has a book coming out in September called Running with Grace. And I love what she talked about because she talked about a chapter that is all about failure. And I've always said that. I've said that for years. You've heard me say people have no idea not only how hard it is to be successful, but people have no idea how much failure is not only likely, but I actually go as far as to say how much failure is required to be successful um, especially as an entrepreneur, but I think in many different aspects in life, how much failure is required to be successful. I mean, look at athletics, too, in sports. The best athletes. Look how many games Tom Brady will go down in history as the best quarterback in the NFL. How many games did he lose? Right? He lost games every season. Failure, right? Failure. It's required. And that was what her talk was about. And she got really specific because you hear me say things like that. And a lot of people will hear me say something like that and they'll go, okay, that's very good, Polly, but like, give me a specific example. Well, Lori gave specific examples. Lori talked about um, it, it, leaving one position to go to another position, going on her own, thinking that she saw the future of the business, not doing the right risk assessments on the right things, and essentially seeing epic failures at certain points. In her career, and she talked about how those things make you stronger and you come back from those things. And really, it's corny, but it's true that it's not about it's not about the failure so much as how you come back from the failure that sets you up for future success. And I just I thought it was great, and I wanted to recommend it. Two two good local entrepreneur books for you. One that one I just talked about, Lori Van Dusen, Running with Grace. That comes out in September. The other one is a book by Paul DeCarlis, which just came out. It's actually by his wife, but it's about the DeCarlis Truck Company. And um, let me see if I can Google it because I'm trying to remember the name of the book. I've read half of it already. It's actually a really easy read. There's a ton of. It sounds like such a child, but there's a ton of. Um, there's a ton of pictures in it. Let me see. Paul DeCarlis book. Google it. Uh, it's called Living Up to the Name. That's what it is. And you probably remember the DeCarlis trucks around town. You you might have pronounced them DeCarlis because I always did before I knew him and knew that it was pronounced DeCarlis. But uh, d- you know DeCarlis trucks that used to w- go around Rochester and actually used to go around the entire country. I mean they they had a thousand trucks at one point. Um, he sold his business, you know, so he he saw his exit, which is great. And he's still around and he's a phenomenal guy, just a phenomenal guy. But uh, he has a book out right now, too, called Living Up to the Name, 
which I would highly recommend. It's about, you know, local entrepreneur. And speaking of failure, I mean, Jesus, this isn't really a failure as much as it's just a tragedy, but coming back from adversity, nonetheless, Paul's mother, father, and brother, the other three people who he was in business with, all died within a five-year period while he was still in his mid-20s. And he was in charge of that business from the age of like 26 on by himself, despite the fact that he thought he had years ahead of him with at least his parents or especially his brother. So, great book. Okay, sorry about the discombobbled freaking podcast this week. Um, I, I, I did subscribe back to the $20 a month, so. <laughs> so we're back to normal, I think. I love you, and I appreciate you listening. Have a good one.